Our second lesson today is a familiar story. It comes from Luke today, chapter 24. I'm reading the first 12 verses. I suspect you've heard this story before. I invite you to hear it as if you're hearing it for the first time. I invite you to listen, not just with your ears, but with your heart, that it might penetrate deeply into us. We listen for God's word. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the son of man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and then he went home, amazed at what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. So Easter Sunday, this day when we gather and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is not only the greatest and the most festive day for all Christians around the world, this is the only day in the church's calendar that is set according to the moon. Did you know that? The date of Easter fluctuates each year because it's set according to the moon's schedule. Easter always falls on the first Sunday after the first full moon after the spring equinox. Have you seen the beautiful full moon on Thursday and Friday of this past weekend? And this is the first Sunday after the first full moon, after the spring equinox. The equinox, just to remind you, happens twice a year, March 21st and September 22nd. The equinox means the night and the day are the same length. As the earth is rotating around the sun and it begins its tilt on the equinox, the night and the day are the same. And so for the next six months, We in the northern hemisphere are tilted closer and closer toward the sun and our days get warmer, we hope, and our days get longer, we trust, all the way till June when it starts tilting back. So as complicated or peculiar as this seems, it makes a lot of ancient sense, actually, at least in the northern hemisphere, because in the northern hemisphere, It means that Easter is always going to coincide with the coming of spring. Easter in the northern hemisphere is always going to coincide with the greening up of the earth. As the earth greens, Easter comes. As Easter comes, we see the greening. As we sing Christ is risen, the earth gets more and more beautiful. Trees, 
find buds and greenery, drab flower beds begin to be full of blossoms, and people begin getting outside, enjoying the changing season. So this nice connection between springtime and Easter is a happy one because we are guaranteed to renew our faith in the creative power of God. Let me say something very clearly. Easter is not about nature. Easter is not about springtime. Nature blooms on a regular schedule with freshness, and spring is that time. God's amazing creation regenerates itself every year. We watch, we wait, we anticipate it. The leaves return, the flowers bloom. It's wonderful, and all of this is very natural. What happens on Easter is decidedly unnatural. You know the story. The beloved Jesus, who was teaching and healing and helping, he is betrayed and then denied and then given over to the authorities and then persecuted and beaten and mocked and crucified on a cross until he dies, and then put in a tomb. All that happened, at least the last part, on Good Friday. Then came Saturday, which was the Sabbath for these folks, which meant only rest and worship. So the last words of Luke chapter 23, which comes just before the words that I read, Conveys how Jesus was taken down from the cross, wrapped in linens, and placed in a rock-hewn tomb. And assuming the stone was put in front of it. And it says these words, on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandments. And I bet you missed the first word of Luke 24. But... But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, that would be Sunday, they came to the tomb. That's what it says. This is how Easter begins. This is the word that begins Easter. But. Tell me, who begins a sentence with but? Unless, of course, unless, of course, you're going to convey something totally unexpected. Totally counter to what has been said. Aha. Who begins a paragraph with but? Unless, of course, you're making a major point about something that's happening and it's unnatural even. Opposite of what's expected. You remember your grammar school lessons? Remember what kind of word but is? Do you? It's a conjunction. And a conjunction has a purpose. It joins Uh, phrases together, it joins sentences together, it joins clauses together. That little word, but. It's a conjunction. And it might be described as a defiant conjunction, but. They put Jesus in the tomb and they rested. But what happens defies anticipation and logic. They rested on the Sabbath 
They went their way into grief, but they found the stone rolled away. But, see, is a little word that redirects what was thought, and but is a little word that redirects and defies what was expected. This is a word that always signals an intrusion. And it's that case in Luke 24. And it is in this case when we're thinking about life and death. When we're thinking about Jesus and God. When we're thinking about what is up. And we're thinking about how could this be? And we have this little word signaling a sacred intrusion. Indeed again. Indeed and again God is doing a new thing, and it's a new thing that is more compelling than any other thing God has ever done. And it's indicated by that defiant conjunction, but. Actually, the little word but is peppered all through these 12 verses that I read, and I bet you missed that too. Because I did the number of times I read it. Luke uses the word six times in 12 verses. It is as if Luke, the gospel writer, is trying to grab us by the lapels and stop us in our tracks and trying to get our attention amidst all the mess that is our life. The gospel is intruding into familiar ways of thinking and saying, not so fast. You thought it was going to be this way. Not so fast how it plays out, what you assume or what you fear is not going to happen. Good news is breaking into our hearts, and good news is breaking into our world and reminding us that sadness and death and lostness is not the way it is, and saying, wait, God is still at work here. That's what but means. Wait, God is still at work here. You don't have the whole story just yet. So it goes, on the fir- but on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb. Then they found the stone rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body. See, it's that defiant conjunction again. What you're expecting to find is not there. The women were terrified, understandably. They were expecting to find a closed tomb, but it was open. They were expecting to find a body, but nobody. They were afraid, but the angel said, Why do you look for the living among the dead? Why do you look for the living among the dead? How often do we walk around afraid, looking for the living among the dead? How often does that happen for you? How often do we stay in our conventional, worn-out ways, assuming that we know how it's going to end up? How often do we stay stuck in our mindset, forgetting that God is actually and always at work? God has plans. God has purposes. God has promises. And how often through the scriptures does God remind us, quit looking back, look forward, 
Quit clinging to the old. I've got new things for you. Quit doubting God is God. Friends, God is God. And God is always at work. See, when people were freed from Egypt, what did they do? They're wandering around and they kept wishing, longing to be slaves back in Egypt. They kept thinking about that instead of trusting where God was leading them. We're so good at seeking the living among the dead. We get so caught up in what we think and what we know and what we assume. And God, friends, is always surprising us, working on us, bringing even new life into our midst. And the angels said, he's not here. And then we have another but. But has been raised. What is Luke up to? with this continuing, stubborn, defiant conjunction in this passage. Six times in 12 verses. What's he up to? Well, maybe. No, probably. No, actually, I think for sure, God is trying to get us to get it. Get it in our heads that God is God and we are not. And there is this defiant promise that God is always working into our lives Because life can be so much like the Good Friday world. Life can be like the Good Friday world. And Luke's trying to get our attention. Grab us by the lapels and make sure we hear it. Because we all carry around with us our heartfelt and our sometimes all-consuming issues that haunt us and beat us down. Maybe it's a chronic situation that we each carry just below the surface, uh, perhaps a disposition. Perhaps it's a grief. Perhaps it's a recent loss. We can manage most days pretty well, or we can get through a lot of the day pretty well, but actually just below the surface, we're struggling with issues that leave increasing lines on our faces. And you know what? Deep crevices in our hearts. Maybe it's a depression that we fight. Maybe it's an addiction that we carry. Maybe it's some other obsession that we can't get rid of. Maybe it's some sincere heartache. You know what I'm talking about. Why do we look for the living among the dead? Well, we know a lot about that. And the Easter word is that defiant conjunction. But God is not finished yet. But the stone is rolled away. But... Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. Maybe you fret and maybe you doubt. Can't really believe this, can we? Well, if you struggle with this text and this issue, you're in good company. In fact, when the women find all this defiant news through all these buts in the text, it was not what they expected. It ran so counter to how they thought and what they anticipated. It ran so counter to how they lived. But he has risen. They were not sure what to do. And when they told the others, the people, even the disciples who had been with Jesus, they didn't believe it. It says they thought it an idle tale. How could this be? They did not believe. In our doubts, we have good company. It's okay. 
Or maybe it's all the other stuff of the Good Friday world. The Good Friday life that creates these barriers for us. Meanness and greed seem to typify our existence. Darkness instead of light. That seems to be the ethos. Poverty, political mess everywhere. We get beaten down. Beaten down by the heaviness of life. We got equality issues that we need to figure out. We got gun violence and other challenges that perplex us and paralyze us as a people. We even miss, we miss it, that first powerful word that begins Easter morning. That little defiant conjunction. How could it be true? We wonder. But, but on the first day of the week, but when they went in, but he has risen. That's what they heard. There are two other words that seem to pop out at me from this story this year. Look what happened to the women after experiencing but on the first day of the week. Look what happened to them. When they heard, but when they went in, he was not there. Look what happened to them when they heard, but he has risen. Look what happened to them. The story says about these women in this momentous situation, two things. They remembered and they told. Here's something of what I suspect they remembered and told. They remembered that God created the world out of nothing. Why would they assume that death and darkness would be too much for God? They remembered that their ancestors were indeed slaves in Egypt. And God freed them from Pharaoh's cruelty and oppression. Wow. They remembered that in the darkest days of the wilderness, when they wanted to go back... God fed them and gave them drink and promised to be with them and guide them no matter what and get them where he told them he was going to lead them, giving them hope to life. They remembered that when the people broke God's heart and their enemies came and sacked their city and tore down their temple and took away their king and carried them off to a foreign land, they remembered God didn't forget them, even though it was two generations of length of time and desperation and exile. God didn't forget them, but remained with them and actually led them back to the land with a new temple and hope. This is the great story of God's steadfast love all through the scriptures. And here's what else I think they remembered. They remembered that God is their shepherd indeed. They remembered that they shall not want. They remembered that God leads them beside still waters and restores their soul. They remembered that goodness and mercy shall follow them all the days of their life. They remembered that. And they told that. And then they remembered Jesus. And they remembered Jesus loving them and teaching them and helping them and telling them that he will suffer and die and rise again. And they remembered that other saying too, I suspect. 
Can anything in all creation ever separate us from God's love? Can height, can depth, can peril or persecution or pain or suffering, can it? They remembered the answer, no. Nothing can separate us from God's love in Christ Jesus. It says they remembered. They remembered and they told. Here's a quote from Danish philosopher and theologian Soren Kierkegaard. Kierkegaard says that the biggest sin of our lives is not what we do to each other. The biggest sin of our lives is not what we fail to do for each other. It's not what we commit or omit. The biggest sin of our lives is that we forget. We forget. We forget that we're loved. We forget that we have a God who cares for us and never leaves us. We forget that we're covered with blessings and promises. We forget all that has been given to us. We forget God is real. We forget that God is at work. And we head off down the road. Amnesia is our problem. The Easter story starts with a defiant conjunction. But, but on the first day of the week, but they did not find the body. When they were terrified, the angel said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He's not here, but has risen. And then they remembered, and then they told. The purpose and the power of the Easter story is to fuel us with the truth so that we can remember and tell. God is real and God is always at work in ways and places we can't even imagine. Even in loss, even in heartache, even in grief, even in uncertainty, even in confusion and doubt and despair. The message of Jesus' resurrection stirs up within us the capacity to imagine that there is a reality beyond what we can see and what we can touch. That there is a truth beyond what we can calculate and observe. And that there is a God who is always at work in the world, even when it appears that the world is settled and predictable, where we think evil wins and death has the final say. Not true. God. Friends, let's take note of God's defiant action again and again, and especially on Easter. Life is held by God. Nothing separates us from God's love. That's the promise of Jesus' resurrection. Death cannot win. God wins. We're to remember and we're to tell. The very telling of the news helps us remember for ourselves, for our time, for our world. We're invited to let go of the old and move into the new. God. Peter, you heard the first lesson, reminds us well, God has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's an inheritance. It's ours to claim. It's undefiled. It's unfading. It's for all of us. We are to be open, invited to see with fresh eyes and trust that indeed God is doing new things. We're invited to become people who belong to the new reality that God is breaking in. And we're invited to commit our lives to trusting and serving God so we can work for that new reality, a reign of love and justice and equality and hope and peace for everybody 
everywhere. May it be so. Friends, Christ is risen. Christ is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Let us pray. We believe, O God. We believe. Help our unbelief and shape us as people who remember and tell following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.